Welcome back to another hour of Scotch Hour. I'm Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right, this is episode 149. I think we have a great uh, lineup here. Uh, first, we're going to start off with the uh, new release. Uh, is the very first one in the series of the Arbeg Anthology, which is the Harpy's Tale, uh, 13 year. Uh, from there, we'll have our shout outs, get togethers. Uh, then we will go do our restaurant review, which is the Tzatziki mediterranean cafe followed by our smarter challenge being on operation high jump and admiral Bird, richard bird um before we get started real quickly thank you to all of our viewers and subscribers and watchers on youtube and rumble we greatly appreciate all of you and thank you to all the very many listeners on the many different podcast platforms you can listen to us we also greatly appreciate all of you as well if you do like our content please uh, like share and subscribe also leave some comments down below we love to hear from you guys and uh, i know recently i think a couple weeks ago i haven't had time to uh comment back but there was a person who did uh leave a, re a review of uh i think it was the arbit or no it was the oban special release 10 year with the purple bunny uh he uh thank you for that comment by the way if you're listening to us uh still uh we appreciate your uh your point of view as well uh, and uh i'll uh, have a comment for you soon uh all right uh, but i guess with that let's go ahead and get ready to rumble and jump on in And this is the Arbag Anthology, first in its series, The Harpy's Tale. And uh, one of the things they write right here on the box is it is a marriage of whiskey matured in sweet sauternes wine casks and together with classic Ardbeg aged in ex-bourbon casks. Notes of, and this sounds interesting smoked lemon peel sour alongside balsamic vinegar before fresh apricots roll and bank into notes of tarry rope uh, first imagined only as a flight of fantasy this is a spirit that achieves the ultimate equilibrium between sweetness and smoke a rare beast ardbeg indeed uh, what I got to say, first of all, is I love the box. Oh, uh, the box is great. I love the, like the shiny gold on there yeah. with the green and the black. Uh, the box is great. A uh, little bit, a little brief touches on Ardbeg. Oh, man, what is this? The eighth we've tried now on the show? Uh, one. Nine, Eight, yeah, this is number 10. All right. So, uh, Ardbeg Anthology, things to men, uh, note is considered very rare, 13 years, um, non-chill filtered 46% ABV, uh, South Coast of Isla, the island of Isla, is where the Ardbeg Distillery rests uh, by Argo and Boot, owned by Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy currently, um, and it is known for producing 
heavily peated scotch whiskey um, uses malted barley sourced from port ellen there on the island of isla um, founded in 1850 however before they officially founded they were producing illegally uh, which began in 1798 uh, the water source is loch ugadel which is also ugadel's one of their scotches it does have one wash still one spirit still with an annual capacity of 1,250,000 liters. Uh, since its uh, introduction to Isla, um, it was open until 1981. However, production was halted in 1981 um, and then resumed on a limited basis eight years later in 1989. During that time, it was owned by Hiram Walker. In 1990, the distillery was bought and reopened by Glenn Morangi um, and reopened to full capacity in 1998. Um, Glenn Morangi was subsequently acquired by Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy on December 28th, 2004. Um, man. Quite a lineage of history. Uh, we have enjoyed all but one of their scotches dynamically. Um, and this one, I am sure, will be no different. Uh, what do you have as far as tours? Well, first off, uh, they are currently in their winter hours, which is Monday through Friday uh, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, they will be releasing their summer hours sometime in early 2024, so we haven't quite hit that time frame yet, um, but they will go ahead and announce that here, I would imagine, in the next few months. Uh, they do offer what's called a, oh, before I go there too, uh, their visitor center. It is fully accessible for those with limited mobility, but they do warn that because it is an old distillery, some of, like, getting into some of the areas or some of the tastings might be more challenging than other, uh, than other areas. Uh, and so just to be aware of that, if you do have some mobility issues. Uh, they do offer the, currently they're only offering the, uh, classic production tour. Uh, this is a uh, 20 Great British pounds. It lasts about an hour and 15 minutes. And it uh, says the time is at 10.30 a.m. or 3 p.m. is when you can sign up for that classic productions tour. Uh, they still do have what's called the Rock Tales. This, is, uh, this does not require any booking whatsoever. So you can go in there. And uh, here you can uh, try delicious Ardbeg cocktails. Also, they have the do-it-yourself tastings. Uh, this is from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., Monday through Friday. And uh, once again, this is on demand. There is no bookings that are required for this. Uh, you do, uh, it does the different ranges, though. Uh, you have the core range, which is 20 great British pounds. And that would include the five-year Wee Beastie, the Arbeg 10, uh, the Anoa, Ugadol, and the Cory Vecken. Then you can go with the limited release one, which is 45 uh, Great British Pounds. Um, and that is that would include the Arbeg 8-year-old for discussion, Arbeg Anthology, the Harpy's Tale, Arbeg Heavy Vapors, uh, and then Arbeg Heavy Vapors Committee's Exclusive, and Arbeg Hypernova. Out of all those, I think it's probably the Committee Exclusive, what I'm assuming is going to be there only. 
Uh, but the only one we haven't tried there is uh, Hypernova. And for obvious reasons uh, that we've mentioned, because it doesn't have a box. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. It is a sweet bottle, too. And I am sure it's phenomenal. Like, part of me wants to go make a box. Right. Like, go design one, have it printed, make it just so I have, a, you know, a box to put it in, because I'm sure it's phenomenal. And then they have the old and wise tasting, which is 50 uh, Great British Pounds. It's the Arbig Trebon 19-year-old Batch 4, uh, Arbig Trebon 19-year-old Batch 5, and the Arbig 25-year-old. And then after that, there is the PD, the PD Path to Maturing Tasting. Uh, this will uh, this is 130 Great British Pounds. Includes the Arbig Very Young, Arbig Still Young, Arbeg almost there. <laughs> Arbeg Renaissance, aka we've arrived. <laughs> and then even, there is another one which is the Arbeg, uh, which includes the Arbeg uh, 19 year old batch one from the Trayvon, batch two of Trayvon, and batch three of Trayvon. And that one's 200 uh, Great British pounds. Uh, that would be the one I would probably be up for because we tried one from batch one and we know it was. Was amazing. that batch one? Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize that was batch one. Batch one. Uh, yeah. And then, oh, and also I said, so yeah, I said uh, one, two, three, four, oh, and five, batch five too. So all those are bigs right there. Outstanding. Well, one of the things that Ardbeg has done really well with some of their boxes in the past, uh, the Heavy Vapors being one example, uh, the Ardcore being another. So they have some great tales that they uh, like to put on here, and I'm going to read this tale very quickly or rapidly. Um, the Harpy's Tale, Loki's, <laughs> Loki's, locals were getting twitchy about mysterious disappearances. There's an appetite for all things rare at Ardbeg, Duga. Head warehouseman and novice orthologist lays claim to the rarest of encounters whilst tracking down the supposedly wean culprit of an undergarment theft. Believing it to be a resident golden eagle nicking the knickers, he set up the mole of awe to crack the case. But when what transpired was a meeting far rarer than any feathered fowl. Binoculars and bottles safely stowed, the eagle-eyed Dugga lay in wait. Suddenly, a shrill screech pierced the air, and without warning, a wingtip revealed itself. The folk back at the distillery are never going to believe me, he thought, and he was right. It was no eagle, it was a harpy, the head of a human and the body of an eagle. It's said to control storms with the flap of its wings, but as we know, uh, now know, it's more interested in hosiery and hurricanes. Returning to the distillery, a bottle of Ardbeg lighter, his story remains just an unbelievable, as unbelievable to this day. Whiskey matured in sought-after Sautern wine cask meets Ardbeg matured in classic ex-bourbon, bottled in tribute to the lesser-spotted Isla creature. The Harpy's Tale is the first delicious edition in the Ardbeg Anthology Collection. Stole his knickers. 
<laughs> Dang, man. What's up with that, Harpy? Hopefully they were, you know, and weren't too fancy. All right. Well, without further ado, we'll uh, look into this. The box again is great. They've got gold foil pressed into it it's got texture for the feathers of the wings um in the ardbeg crest itself i love the fact that the dog and is holding on to the britches <laughs> yeah i was like holding on to to the britches like hey he was a bottle of ardbeg lighter in the story i think that means he drank it <laughs> he might have had a few things to make up um as we open it up i Great detail even on the inside of the box. Nice, thick stock. This is not just paper, um, but it's not cheap cardboard. It is a, a beautiful box uh, in all ways. And it's got that uh, Glen Morangi style, makes sense, uh, holder for the top of the bottle within the box. Okay, so inside the box and uh, right there on the foil right there, uh, it just reminds me that, uh, I forget the name of the movie, I think it was Road Trip. Did you kill a leopard? <laughs> I had sex with a woman. <laughs> it was, you killed a cheetah? Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Did you kill a cheetah? <laughs> she gave him her knickers. All right. Well, um, the bottle, again, is typical Ardbeg style, but with a little more flair. Great label. Um, great foil made to look like it doesn't go all the way up but it does um very well done uh the story again on the back of the bottle all right now is, are they gonna let us down with the plastic cap and press cork that's the question i'm gonna probably say yes because they've been doing that a lot lately i'm trying to remember if the ardbeg 19 the tri bon trial bus trial bus <laughs> trial bus <laughs> had a plastic top and i think even it did yeah i think so too. but we're, we're gonna find out very shortly here great foil plastic art bag top but wait real cork real cork All real right. cork no pressed cork so we're, we're sitting pretty with that one i wonder why they do the plastic I don't know. It's a good question. Once we go take a tour, we should ask him, like, how can we don't make a box for all of them? Yeah. What's and up with this bullshit? <laughs> and why do you guys use plastic toppers? <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I guess it's time for our warp speed and uh, tasting notes. Cheers. Cheers. Arbeg's uh, first release of the anthology collection, the uh, Harpy's Tale. Uh, if I was that gent that they're talking about here in this story, I could see uh, if I was drinking this particular bottle of Arbeg, how I might be one bottle shy or short or whatever they mentioned in that story. Um, when he got back. Oh, uh, yeah, when he got back. And I'm probably sure I would be seeing uh, a harpy or uh, an, an eagle or whatever, as he was saying. Um, but it's actually I, I really enjoy i really enjoy this uh expression from arbeg uh, it uh i'm gonna start off with the presentation i love the presentation 
Uh, I love the black, the, the, the green hues that they have on there along with the gold. Uh, you know, even with the plastic top, I can easily overlook that for like how well they designed that, the story that goes along with it. Uh, there's a lot of like little things that uh, really play into this box uh, or in, into this presentation, which gives it, which makes me give it a five out of five. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as the color here, I put down uh, light gold with a with an amber hue to it. Uh, I really enjoyed the. I, I actually enjoy the color. Uh, I gave that a five out of five as well. Now the nose um, here. Um, it's not like uh, super complex, but it does have some nice flavors that I got from the nose, which were initially for me when we first uh, when we first poured it uh, was smoke with some lemon zest, which then later turned into uh, some other hints of like uh, with oak uh, tar, a little bit of tar, and maybe some uh, hint of uh, of anise or, or anise um in there um but it was enjoyable so i gave the nose a 27 out of 30. now my uh i didn't put a ton of notes here as far as the body um or the palette but it did get the highest rating for me so here i put lightly bodied nicely coats the mouth with an oily film well balanced with a nice sweetness of hints of apricot and lemon zest um is what i put in there and then near the end i think this is where some like uh spice comes into play here which i think to me on my palate i think is the is like where i'm getting that anise from or anise or however you pronounce it Anise. yeah anise. Uh, <laughs> um but yeah so it has that in there and then that like that filters into the uh, nice finish of smoke and oak, which I really enjoyed. So the body, I gave that 28 out of 30. The finish, a 27 out of 30. That gives me a grand total of 92 points. Um, and here, would I take this to Black Tie Fair? Yeah, I definitely would. Um, it has a nice flavor profile. And really, the uh, the the presentation, the box, and... Uh, Everything that kind of goes along with this particular one would make for a good uh, conversation starter at like a black tie affair or something like that. So I would definitely like take that. Uh, and it's also unique, you know. Um, would I take it to game night? Yeah, probably. Uh, well, I don't know. Depends on who I'm playing the games with. Uh, if it's a bunch of like uh, poker, if it's a bunch of it's a bunch of guys who enjoy scotch and that could. Uh, appreciate it then yes if it's just like just a bunch of guys and you know some are beer drinkers or whatever probably not uh is there a place on my shelf most definitely uh there's a place on the shelf for this and um yeah I, honestly if you find this i think you should really give it a shot uh what really makes this uh this guy's kind of like turn out for me is that they did use the sauterne casks and sauterne you know, like sauterne wines are kind of like more like French dessert wines, so they have a really nice sweetness to their to them, and I think that that's what kind of brings out the apricot sweetness with some lemon zest in this particular scotch is from those Sauternes casks, which I really do enjoy. But at the same time, 
you get that nice like stuff that i uh, like the nice smoke and uh maybe some hints of like a little bit of peat in there and stuff like that that you would normally expect from something that was aged in the uh, ex-bourbon casks and most scotches uh so it does have a really nice blending uh to where the flavors commingle together very well and with that nice oily coating that it puts around your mouth that kind of lingers even after the finish uh really makes it an enjoyable dram dude i'm right there with you with the presentation i can overlook the plastic topper <laughs> if for no other reason than all the detail they put in the box in the bottle um the box for example it's probably pretty hard for you guys to see in the, unless the light catches it um you've got the gold foil and then there is detail work so the cardboard is pressed out um to give a little points of focus if you will one being the dog um, pulling on the laundry um, one being the gentleman um, and the third one is the Ardbeg distillery along the waterfront which I just think is phenomenal like when I when that caught my eye I was like that is awesome like that's the water it's on the waterfront that's the distillery well done um, great job with the box with the bottle uh, five out of five for presentation for me color um, man, this is such a unique color to me that um, I'm going to go and I'm going to call it polished gold. Um, it's one of those things where you get a metal, whether that's silver or like the coins we flip from time to time to decide which scotch we'll be drinking um, or that we polish or any number of things. But that is what color I get from this is this polished gold, um, something that uh, looks like it's been cared for, uh, non-chill filtered, Five out of five for color for me. Now for the nose, I got some very similar hues um, and a few different ones. For me, right off the bat, peat, smoke, and a little bit of almond. Um, and then a little bit of oak and a little bit of lemon peel so that's where you mentioned the lemon zest i believe uh for me man i gave the nose a 28. i dig the nose i think it is clean and fresh um it's got enough of the peat and the smoke that i expect from ardbeg but man has it got a great um scent all around so 28 for me on the nose on the palate I am loving the palate, just like I am loving the nose. Mm. It's almost like a chewy, like you mentioned, it like coats the mouth. It's like coats my teeth. And for me, it's not as much oil as it's like nougat. Like when you're eating a candy bar and you get a piece of nougat um, and it's creamy, it is delicious. It's a, almost chewy, even though it's a liquid. Um, and that is immediately followed by vanilla bean um mild i'm gonna say this is surprising but absolutely present mild peat and smoke um oak comes out then for me um and then i do it took me a little while to find it but those smoked apricots um towards the end of the power right as the finish is beginning and then a little bit of and i'm gonna this is where i'm gonna throw the oil in i'm gonna say eucalyptus oil is because the eucalyptus, it leaves the mouth feeling so clean, like I've brushed my teeth and I love it. Um, 
And part of that is that oily, though, like keeping it clean, keeping it shiny. Like, yeah, I feel like it is beautiful. It is a 28 on the palette for me on the finish. Oh, man, the finish. It is thick, creamy. Um, and when I say creamy, it's like a smoked vanilla cream. Um, it is delicious um, with a little bit of pea and a little bit of coconut. Um, and then, you know, it's taken a little while for it to really open, but that eucalyptus is finally staying along from the body to the finish. And it it is making me want more. I love that. Um, what I don't love is that this is not a cheap bottle. Um, this one, I think you pick up for right around 170. Um, so right around that price range, it is very rare. So it was super limited. I don't know if you can find it, like you said. Um, with that though, the finish got another 28 for me. So I rated it uh, two points higher than you. I got it. I gave it a 94. Um, it is a great expression from Ardbeg. And again, it has the things that I look for in the tin or an Isla peated smoky scotch, but it also has so much more. And I am digging that, um, because of that, man, would I bring this to a black tie? Hell yes. Um, it's a little flashy, absolutely. Um, but I would absolutely bring this to a black tie event because, man, this is something that should get noticed. Um, and you are not going to go wrong unless you have somebody who just doesn't care for peated or smoked scotches. Because otherwise, it has got the body, the creaminess, and everything else that is it's almost easy to overlook the peat or i should say overtaste the peat and smoke um with this guy so absolutely back tie um right there with you with game night if it's a special event type of game night like new year's eve christmas eve somebody's birthday and a game night or something where you're going all out and it's one of those murder mystery parties and people are dressing up and you're planning on being there a while then i can see this being something that is an addition to appies and uh foods and tons of fun so um game night yes if it's a special event finally is there a place on the shelf for it yes if you find it, do pick one up if you enjoy a peated and smoked scotch in particular. But otherwise, if you're a fan of Ardbeg and you didn't get it, um, see if you can find it before it is gone. It's time for our shout outs. My one piece that I uh, will give a quick shout out to is Aiden and his basketball team. Uh, the um, man, they continue to do great things. Cherokee trail junior varsity team. Well done. You guys, you guys are fun to watch Aiden. Of course you're, you're my favorite cause you're my, my son and I love to watch you play. Um, so thanks for being a team player and doing lots of great things. Uh, you're always going to ruffle some feathers when you do things your way, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, my shout out to Aiden in there. That it's a six A team. I didn't know they brought six A back until Aiden was talking about it. Yeah, with us did I. yesterday, and I was like, oh, okay, so it's not five A anymore. You're a six A. <laughs> it's a big deal. So congrats. All right. Well, mine is going to go with "Don't Mess with Texas." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as uh, unless you've like had your head buried in the sand or anything um there's been a big uh, dispute between texas and the federal government on uh the control of the border and trying to keep people from crossing into texas illegally and uh texas has uh has 
done very well with utilizing uh, its state's rights by uh, pointing out what uh, is the supreme law of the land, which is the Constitution, and how it can defend itself uh, from uh, the dereliction of duty by a uh, federal government uh, when it comes to uh, controlling the border. So uh, I, I stand with Texas. I'm giving them a shout out. And that's where I'll leave that one at. Dude, like, I've lived in Colorado my whole life. Like, I'm about ready to move to damn Texas. I don't care if some people call it boring and it doesn't have mountains at this point. Guess what it does have? A Gulf Coast. <laughs> <laughs> guess what it does? Guess what it doesn't have? A whole lot of liberals. Just joking. Just joking. No. Not really. No, it probably but, does uh, have a lot of liberals. <laughs> They're just uh, not in control. They're not. Yeah. Uh, they're not overpowering certain things. Which, thank God, somebody is, as you mentioned, doesn't have their head in a <laughs> hole. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess I'll do my get it together yes. first. I have two real quick get it togethers. They kind of go hand in hand, maybe, possibly. I'm not really sure yet, um, but maybe in a few months down the road or later this year, we may find out if they do go hand in hand. But the first one is going to be health insurance companies uh, who have been um, adding for 2024 have uh, been putting into their uh, policies that they will not cover any injuries or anything or illnesses that are caused by war, whether they're declared or not declared riots or insurrection. So if any of those things happen and you happen to get injured, the uh, insurance, the health insurance companies are now starting to put into their policies that they will not cover those kinds of uh, uh, injuries or illnesses. Well, let's just call California up, and I'll bet they'll cover it. <laughs> yeah, possibly, <laughs> but you have to be illegal though. You have to come over illegally. Okay, so or I guess you can't say illegal. So you get full coverage, and you don't have to worry about these new clauses if you're illegal and you're in California, but if you've been here your whole life legally and you're paying for your insurance, then you're excluded. Correct. <laughs> I think that's how that works. Yeah, I think that's how it works. That's a little crazy to me. And then the other one, like I said, may or may not go hand in hand, uh, is that the U.S. Navy has now waived uh, that their applicants uh, no longer have to graduate high school or have a GED uh, to, to bolster their numbers. Now, I'm not sure if they're trying to bolster their, num their numbers because their recruiting isn't going well or if they're trying to bolster their numbers because we're because uh, they anticipate us going to war soon. Um, hopefully, knock on whatever you can knock on, we do not go to war. I don't think anyone wants to see that kind of reality. Um but I guess if it happens, it happens. And then, then we'll know for sure why the uh, health insurance companies uh, have put, the, put those clauses into those policies. Yeah. But uh, in any case, uh, they got to get together. I don't think the Navy should be accepting people who, you know, like, they shouldn't be dumbing down their, their servicemen. And uh, I don't think the uh, insurance companies should be voiding out something like that. But I can understand why, because uh, teaching insurance uh, more so life insurance. Uh, there is a clause about catastrophic events and uh, war is usually a, an exclusion. So this is a, this has already been well known for life insurance is that they do exclude death 
uh, due to uh, acts of terrorism and more and more. So um, that's already been established on the life insurance side. I think they're just now establishing it maybe on the health insurance side, uh, which is unfortunate because, you know, at the same time, though, if there's a mass amount of people dying from it, that would wipe out the insurance industry altogether anyway. So I, I could kind of see it from both sides, but it's something for people to be aware of. All right. Where do those, those riots take place, too? Blue cities. California. Yeah, California. There was uh, in New Minnesota, York. New York. I know there was a couple in Denver. Hmm. I think uh, I think they like bled on to I-25. Yeah. Uh, or two twenty one. One was on two twenty five. I think some guy got shot. Wow. Mm. So much for his life insurance. Well, my my get it together is uh, just piggyback right on yours there with the navy. Like, don't dumb it down. And uh, really, it's super interesting to me because one of the benefits of going into the military typically is a free education. But if you don't have a college degree or a ged you can't get high school or a high school degree or ged you can't get into college right so maybe that's why they're doing is actually to reduce their expenses maybe so maybe so but i agree let's not dumb them down um we want our protectors the ones are in you know our tax dollars are paying for um to be bright and strong and strong-willed not uh crying at the sight of anything that is unforeseen. All right, this week's restaurant review, Tzatziki's Mediterranean Grill off of Hampton, um, just east of I-25. <laughs> and they're your friend in the Mediterranean food business. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you guys uh, know about Shane Company's uh, old commercials, that would make sense to you. But if not, sorry. Um, first of all, getting to the place is not exactly super easy. Uh, Hampton, right there, by, by in that area, is pretty busy, um, and the parking lot. Is not very well lit at nighttime. Dude, it's a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I think, I don't know if it's me, but it feels like, or maybe I was just driving bad that evening. I don't know. Uh, but it felt like the parking spots were on the smaller side for, uh, for parking. And so I think it's, I think it's more accessible for probably compact cars uh, than it is for like, uh, like my, my vehicle, which is like, I, I'm not sure if it's considered a midsize or a full uh, full size sedan, but uh, I have Hyundai Sonata, so uh, it's definitely not a compact car. I can tell you that much. <laughs> um, um, when you first walk in, oh, the other thing is like they don't have their light, their uh, their signage outside lit up. Yeah, uh, how are you supposed to tell like you're in business if you don't have your signage lit up? Uh, and then when you do walk in, it actually doesn't look bad for the style of restaurant it is. But my question is, uh, and I, and I know I talked to you about it when we were there, I wasn't quite sure. Is this like, it's almost like some kind of weird, uncomfortable blend of fast food meets sit down dining. <laughs> and in here, like when you walk in, you, it looks nice. It has like a nice decor in there, but you walk up to order your food and you pay up front. 
and then they ask for a tip there. And if it's like a, it, you know, this is where I think it gets confusing because if it's like a fast food place, I don't want to tip a fast food place. But if it's going to be like a sit down place, because like when you go to your seat, they already have your silverware rolled up there. They bring you your food and they clean up the plates afterwards. So that in that case, it's more like a sit down place. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, like I said, I think it's kind of like an uncomfortable in between. And I think if you kind of know about it beforehand, you're all right. But if it's your like your first time there, um, you don't know like if you should be like like for me, fast food. I'm not going to like want to tip. But if it's a sit-down place, I have no problem tipping. So that's why I say, like, it's kind of a weird in-between thingy there. Um, but overall, I did like the interior. Uh, and the staff seemed fairly friendly. Um, and they didn't interrupt you while you eat or anything like that. Uh, the food. I did order, I think it's the uh, pick-your-plate uh combo or something like that uh, build your own feast uh, build your own feast thank you because i know you got the same thing but i went to the different <laughs> route to what you did so i went with the uh grilled steak uh the greek salad and the red potatoes and i'll tell you what my favorite part of that whole meal was the salad the greek salad was great i love the uh the dressing that they had for it it had the like uh the, the olives and uh and the and the vegetables seem fairly fresh like really fresh um my second favorite thing on the dish was the red potatoes for some reason those potatoes tasted really great really great they had like enough butter or oil to it with some salt and it was just though they were perfect uh very delightful I, I enjoyed that and the meat wasn't bad i think they cooked the steak fairly well and the sauce that you get with it is some kind of like I don't know. I want to say it has like horseradish in it or something like that. I mean, you t you took a bite of. Uh, I think of it's it. horseradish. But whatever sauce, like whatever they have in that sauce with the horseradish, it actually made the steak uh, taste really nice. Um, this was actually the second time I've been to this location. Um, like I think about two days prior, uh, I, I stumbled upon it and had their beef sandwich, which has a nice coating of that. Uh, on a, it's like it's kind of like comes like in a hamburger bun comes with chips and a salad uh but it had that uh th that sauce on that steak sandwich and it tasted really good uh so i think if i were to go back there another time which i'm not sure if i am or if i would or wouldn't but if i'm in the area and i'm looking for something to eat possibly i'd go back there again uh i probably would go with the steak sandwich as opposed to build your own plate uh or build your own feast um is it a destination no I think there's other Mediterranean places nearby that I'd rather go to. I think uh, we reviewed a place called Opa Grill. I would, I'd, I'd much rather go to Opa Grill. And then there's also the Med, uh, the Med Grill. I think it was Mediterranean Grill, uh, not too far from us as well. And I think that place, just because of the owner and like the food that he makes, like it's pretty dynamic for fifteen dollars comparative to like what we got here. Uh, the, I think the main drawback of the Mediterranean grill is that you can get like any like wine to go with your meal. Um, if you like wine with your meal. Uh, but, uh, so overall the food I actually really enjoyed. I'm going to give it, like, I think it's like on the cusp of fast food slash sit down. So I'm going to go give it more of a fast fooding fast food score. So that way I'm going to say like the food was a, was a solid nine on the fast food scale. Uh, the service that would be a nine on the fast food scale. 
because I thought their service was was pretty good. Um, and uh, would I take a date there? Um, I could see taking a date there, I guess. Um, but it wouldn't be a place I'd go to automatically. It'd be like if it's on the way or if it's close to something that we're doing in that area, I could see taking someone there. Um, would I meet a friend there? Definitely. I would meet a friend there. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else, but overall fast food scale wise, I give it a nine. If I were to go to a sit down area, I'd probably give it more like a six or a seven, maybe six, maybe, I don't know, six, somewhere between six or seven, uh, just because it's not quite full service sit down. Yeah. But I, I still like the food though. The food still get the same. Well, the food probably get lower ranking. Cause I think sit down restaurants, sometimes you get much better food. So that probably <laughs> dropped down to a seven two. Uh, so just to keep it simple, fast food side, I'm giving it like an overall nine, but not destination. Tzatziki's Mediterranean Cafe. <coughs> Build your own feast. I did as well. I went with the grilled lamb. So as you pick your protein, the price does vary based on the protein you pick. Um, and so with the grilled lamb, it was $16.99. I went with the Mediterranean salad and the red potatoes and a blue moon beer. Um, overall, the salad was also my favorite part. The salad was great. The lamb was a little tough. Um, you gave me a bite of your steak, which was phenomenal. I wish I'd gone with the steak. Uh, the potatoes were very good. Uh, it did, even though they had two options of wine and little mini bottles and a few options of beer. Uh, it's very limited. Uh, but overall, like the exterior environment of the place, as mentioned, it's not easy getting into. If there's traffic, it's probably a nightmare. At night, it's even worse. That's its biggest ding right there. Like the parking lot and the environment is a five. It is a, it's less, it feels less safe than a damn Taco Bell parking lot. At least Taco Bell parking uh, lots are. Yeah, low. I agree. And I didn't give a score to the outside. So if I were, it would be five. Um, the atmosphere on the inside, though, I did think was pretty nice. It was simple. Um, and it is, though, they're in that middle ground of, it's not quite fancy sit-down restaurant, but it's definitely classy for a fast food restaurant. Ultimately, it was comfortable. Um, I gave it an eight. So atmosphere at eight. The food was really good. Again, the salad was my favorite part. Um, if it was all based on a salad, it would be getting a 10, but it wasn't. Um, so with that, with my lamb, my lamb was just a little disappointing, um, even with the sauce. Uh, but altogether, food, a solid eight. Value also gets an eight. It's It wasn't dirt cheap, uh, but that salad, like I gotta keep going back to the salad. The salad was delicious. It's, if I went back, I would probably literally just get a salad. Um, because that Mediterranean salad was fantastic. Um, so value in eight. The service, I'm right there with you for that weird in-between um, fast, fun, and friendly they were. Um, brought the food to the table, polite, quick, also cleared the table. Uh, service overall, a nine. Um, so for my total, that gives it a 7.6 out of 10. Uh, would I meet a friend there? Yeah, if I'm in the area, would I take a date there? Also, yeah, if I'm in the area, is it a destination? No. And much like you said, if I'm going like literally 
the the reason I would go there with, to meet a friend or a date would be to get the salad again. That's literally <laughs> I mean, the salad was that when you get lettuce that is that fresh and crisp, you remember it. Um, and the the nuts and um, the garbanzo beans, the onion, the, uh, the balsamic uh, salad dressing, everything was great about that. Um, but it would all it would all revolve literally around that salad because otherwise i'll pay a couple dollars more somewhere else and get real service sit down service um, where i have extra time for a date where you're just shooting the shit um having an afternoon um with a friend um that's the other thing is it's right there in between like it didn't take a long time to get the food but it was also not busy and typically when you meet a friend um you're looking for either that dating type of experience where you want it to be nice and slow and drawn out or you want it to be super quick i mean i don't know that i would trust this place to be super quick if i was on a work lunch um, but other than that man it was good 7.6 if you're in the area and you feel like some mediterranean food i would say if, yeah you know do try it um i did think that little I, the piece of steak you gave me with that sauce was phenomenal so that would also be something ultimately long term i would probably try but the salad all the way <laughs> This week's smarter challenge was to, uh, we're going to sit here, I guess, was to research Admiral Byrd and Operation uh, High Jump. And I guess to give you a brief synopsis, everyone, on Operation High Jump. Also known as Task Force 68. <laughs> right. So uh, some information here uh, to kind of like set the stage, I guess. We had the uh, Perry Reese map. The Perry Reese map came out in 1513, and it shows an ice-free. It's an ice-free map of the uh, of the Antarctica, and so and it's and it's really accurate. And, and this is where and this has been kind of like um, uh, there's a debate going on like how was this like this information so accurate? Because uh, most scholars say that Europeans are, are basically when we've modern age had discovered antarctica wasn't until 1812 um but it does say on the on the perry reese map that it was compiled from other source maps that date back to maps that were located in the library of alexandria in egypt so this is this becomes really important because like uh when uh admiral bird is there uh, it's all ice, right? It's, it's all iced over. In 1812, it was all iced over. So as they sit here, uh, these maps have been accurate. And as like some of the, uh, the ice ice caps have been melting, uh, it's been revealing these lands and the Perry, Perry Reese maps have been accurate. So there must have been a time when it was all melted. And, it, it, and these were maps of like from Alexander, like the you know back in Egypt. So they we're talking about fifteen thirteen. You mean like the last time we went through a phase of global warming? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Damn Egyptians for using fossil fuels and causing problems. <laughs> so and the other things here, they like some people call this area of, of Antarctica also the uh, Illuminati's playground, and there's supposedly three alien motherships that are located there uh where at least two of them are known to be in the new schwaben new schwabenland or new swabia uh which is controlled which was controlled by the by the nazis and is still controlled to this day by germans 
Um, so anyways, uh, Admiral Byrd, he was the very first aviator to fly over the South Pole where he did see a hole there uh in the middle of the south pole like like right where the south pole is like i think it's like one degree south of like the south pole mark is where this hole is and then uh after he flew there he went they he's like he went back to the states or whatever and then the military had like like late 40s right after the war was over uh they had him go down to uh antarctica with a with an armada of ships uh, which happened to be Operation High Jump. And when he came back to Antarctica, he flew into the hole, and uh, they were maintaining radio contact throughout this time from the uh, from the U.S. base called Little America. And when that when he went into the hole itself, there was three hours of no radio data or no radio connection at that point. So all of his like flight information, nothing was there. Uh, or there's no recording from the flight data for like those three hours. And then uh, in 1990, his son released the diaries of Admiral Richard uh, Byrd. And in his diary, he said that when he flew into the hole, this is where hollow earth theory comes into play, is that when he flew into the hole, it was fertile green valleys and he could see a, a woolly mammoth there. And as he was flying in there, and he saw this woolly mammoth. Two, what I would say, UFOs intercepted him and took him to a crystal city, as he describes it. And these people had German accents. There's Nazi swastikas all over the place. And he met with a person called the Master. <laughs> which happens to be like the leader of the group, uh, the leader down there. And this master had lectured uh, Admiral Byrd about the uh, irresponsibility of using atomic bombs. And so it was, it's a, akin to a child playing with matches. And so then we go into the battle of, uh, of Operation High Jump. Uh, and here they went to, uh, they flew over the base uh, 211, so base uh, 211, surveying it and they did some uh, some spot bombing there and then nothing they didn't really see anything too big happening right there but this is one of the locations where one of these alien weather ships is supposed to be and uh on this on day two he sent like a, a mass majority of his like bombers to go in there and bomb the crap out of this place and all these planes fell off the radar like they all disappeared off the radar never to be heard from again never to be seen again they just like disappeared and after that happened two ships came out out of the water confronted uh, admiral Byrd's armada cut one one of the ships supposedly in half with like a laser beam or some like uh direct energy weapon cut it in half sunk that ship only took one they only took out one ship and then that ended the six-month operation high jump and uh, at that point admiral bird when he got back to the states said that if we don't stop doing what we're doing with atomic bombs and stuff they we're going to go up against an enemy that has ships that could go from pole to pole within minutes and we're going to get destroyed because he saw it happen so anyways that's uh, that's kind of the uh uh, the synopsis there. All right. Yes. 1946, 1947. Um, and the other pieces about this is that the whole purpose was uh, politically listed as to evaluate the ability of personnel 
and equipment to function in extreme polar conditions, um, and then also test the feasibility of building permanent stations on the continent, uh, which we have not done. So I guess it wasn't possible, even though if you look at the film done by uh, his uh, military crew, they make it look like, oh, we're just having a blast swimming in the water and all these different things. And right? I'm like, I call BS, man. Um, it, you know, it was organized by Rear Admiral Richard E. Bird. Um, and his um, other primary mission along here was to increase the knowledge of the area's electromagnetic, geological, geographic, hydrographic, and meteorological propagation conditions. So what all is going on? Um, and it's always interesting that, um, you know, all these different countries were flocking there at this time. So again, this, you know, high operation, high jump 1946 to 1947, all these different countries are flocking there, ours included to try to get a look at it. And then shortly thereafter, Hey, there's nothing to see here, guys. Let's just make a treaty where none of us go back. <laughs> it's kind of like the moon. Uh, what happened and what didn't happen? Like, let's get real. Yeah. That's you make up, a, you bring up a good point there because they, they did have that treaty. Now, now you have to get like special permission to go uh, to go there and like you do have the weird part is you have like heads of state that go down to antarctica you have like religious leaders that go down to antarctica and there's something on there's something going on down there and there's obviously there 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 is a german base there but they're saying it's underground uh, in fact, in my notes from uh, from this interview of this guy who's like done like massive amount of research there and wrote some books. He said that base 211 near Schumacher Ponds, uh, also the location of one of the alien ships, Germans have never left and still control the New Schwanland uh, area. And this is a known as a, uh, this base, this mothership is a reptilian alien base is what he calls it. So if you're talking about like, I mean, we started looking into the Nazi Germany and stuff like that. They were kind of like into the occult and all this other kind of weird stuff. And it would make sense that if there is an alien base there, or if the hollow earth theory does hold true and you can go into a hole there in the South pole, I don't think any government wants people to like randomly should go down there. They're going to, they're going to hide those secrets from everybody. I would think. Agreed. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what do you think the plausibility of all this is? I think it is 100% plausible that there could be an underground base. Um, that is real. That is possible. I don't doubt that at all. Um, I do question um, most of the hollow earth theory in the aspect of uh all of a sudden there's you know green foliage and uh, woolly mammoth and all these different things like that seems a little far-fetched to me um particularly because if it's warm and it's green woolly mammoths probably wouldn't be the happiest there to <laughs> be like this freaking hot in here <laughs> so take off all your clothes <laughs> um, but woolly mammoths don't take off their clothes they're just woolly mammoths i don't think they even got to shed like dogs um but i i do think it's 100 possible that there are 
I, I would say it's not only possible, probable that there is one, if not multiple, foreign ships there, extraterrestrial, buried in the ice. And again, what would be the biggest fear? Now, let's t let's think about this. A reptilian base um, under the ice, what would be our biggest fear? Well, that the ice would melt, the reptiles, which are cold-blooded, would become super active and would not only leave, be able to leave their shift, but take over the world. Right. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I'd be worried about global warming too, even though maps show it's a cycle. Like this is nothing new. It's going to happen. Right, I, I do. I, I agree. It's a, it is a cycle. Eventually, all the snow will melt. Uh, uh, it has nothing really to do with like man-made climate change. I don't think, in my opinion. Um, no, and California, yes, you are underwater when all that melts. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good thing at this point. <laughs> yeah, we figured out how to get rid of that uh, free life insurance, free health insurance, all that stuff. <laughs> Just put them in the water. <laughs> Seismic. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because, like, with Admiral, you know, obviously Admiral Byrd is like he had he was a you know uh, he's a well known man he's you know reputable reputable is that the right word yeah, yeah. reputable yeah uh, but yet he his diary comes out and his son released the diaries in nineteen nineties sometime in the nineties um, and there's a lot of doubt about like the truth about what he wrote in there. And also it kind of makes you question like if you had these like super well, it's these super advanced Germans in this crystal city, uh, how like, and you know, they were trying to take over the world. How are they going to lecture anybody about using atomic bombs? <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I mean, it seems something like a little bit whacked out there, but the, the the weird part about all this too, I think, is that this because of what Amber Bird's diary talks about. I think it opens up the the like the idea of hollow, uh, hollow Earth. Uh, it also brings in like the uh, the Foo Fighters and stuff like that. Like uh, when the, the Allies went, uh, were fighting against the Germans and they saw UFOs, uh, and then uh, supposedly it's it was UFOs that took out all like Amber Bird's uh, pilots. And there's some theories about like how there is a human base on Mars, and it was actually settled by these Germans who were who who were advanced humans, I guess, because of this technology uh, from uh, New Schwabenland. Um, I think it'd be interesting to go tour the area if you could get in. But it's interesting because, like, first of all we got to consider there's propaganda, this, that, and the other. So if he's worried about the Nazis, then yes, then the super race that's the problem in Antarctica becomes Nazis in his diary. Um, and if he never makes it home, then his diary, uh, truth or fiction, ultimately becomes a tool that the United States can use to go to war, do any number of things. Um, I don't doubt that there could be a super race, but... 
I would say most likely it's not going to be Nazis. Otherwise, they would have taken over the world with that technology. <laughs> it's not a matter of, oh, well, yeah, this, let's just stop doing this. War's over. No. Um, it's that whole piece of a supreme. And, yeah, I just they would have taken over the world. Well, see, that's funny you brought that up because they're like uh, in this interview on uh, Coast to Coast AM, uh, this guy, he was talking about like how there is a theory out there that the Nazis actually didn't lose the war. And they actually have pretty much started to take over the the world. It was just the German army that, uh, or the German military that that surrendered. So like the Nazis, like the Nazi leaders themselves, a lot of them didn't actually surrender, and the SS supposedly didn't actually surrender. It was so it was just like the German military that surrendered, and so and then you saw like you know you have like Operation Paperclip where a lot of these like Nazi leaders like came over to the U.S. And then you had the same thing happening with Nazi scientists going over to Russia and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, you know, there, there is that possibility that maybe, maybe they didn't actually like lose a war. They just kind of changed the, the theater of war. I don't know. It's an interesting theory. Um, but it, I mean, if I guess by changing it, you would have to like, if you're going to take over the world like that, you have to do it in a slow burn as a, as opposed to a, like a war fast burn. And I think maybe, maybe that could be some of the things that we're saying today. Maybe, I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah, I'm going to go back to it. <laughs> if they wouldn't have dragged it out, there would be no point. <laughs> um, it's like, uh, obviously uh, hollow, hollow earth. Uh, I agree with the woolly mammoth thing. That mean that that seems a little bit far fetched. Like especially if it's in a if it's like a warm climate down there. But I don't disagree about the whole hollow earth theory because it's not just him who wrote about it. Yeah, like what the Hoppy Indians and stuff like that. Yeah, like other societies or other groups of people who uh, like I don't know. I don't know if it's written or or spoken history about like ant people coming out from under from like uh, the ground and stuff like that right yeah but let's 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 take a different purview from this what okay. if it's not a hollow earth but a donut but it's a hollow section of the earth oh, okay where maybe there was a meteorological event or something else or uh you know the world's huge volcano exploded and created ultimately a giant cavern that is there in antarctica deep enough that it's close enough closer to the core and warm and can create all of those other conditions that's a high probability because supposedly uh, Antarctica has something like 97 active volcanoes, which I imagine one of they got, you're probably talking about some kind of super uh, Cordova, I think is that, is that what they call them? Cordovas or Cordovas. It's kind of like what's over uh, in uh, Yellowstone. It could be. Yeah. But I, like that, I could see. I could see there being giant underground caves, basically. Yeah, big enough for a plane to fly into. Yeah, that, I mean that, that'd be interesting. I, could you imagine just being like one of those people there uh, and being able to see see that? It would be awesome, and it also it's like not hard to believe from the aspect of when the snow would fall, like the physics of it would be heat pressure would keep the snow and ice outside. The cold atmosphere would keep the ice on top of this giant cavern hidden until all of it was truly removed. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, here's the other thing too. Uh, Google Map or like Google Earth, right? Supposedly you can see everything on Google Earth. Uh, and apparently, right where like this hole is, they did, they did, like they have it like covered up. It's just like a big white blob right there. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because uh, supposedly. <laughs> Uh, unless they have, uh, unless they've updated it recently, uh, you could tell like they just took like a like a clip of like somewhere somewhere else that had like that was white. It just like slapped it on top of it. They didn't try like like uh, like Photoshop it to make it really nice and believable that there was no hole. You can tell it was just like a patch job. Like there you go, it's covered up. Now you can't see what's there, um, which is interesting because obviously there is something going on there. You wouldn't have the treaty of like all these nations saying like you know no one can go there except for like special dignitaries and uh um obviously like for like regular joe schmoes right we can't go there and stuff like that so something's up and i went out there's some alien tech which yeah. kind of brings me to play x files because x files talked a lot about aliens and like i think uh he's a, in one of the uh season endings or in one of their movies, uh, Mulder had to go to Antarctica to go save uh, Scully from an alien ship in Antarctica. Well, like, let's face it also, what are alien type of beings, predators? What did alien versus predator show a civilization right. in, in Antarctica <laughs> under the ice? Oh, wait, kind of in a giant cave under the ice that would have looked like a crystal city because the ice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there you go. All right, uh, is there anything else you want to touch upon with uh, Admiral Byrd and Operation High Jump? That no, we didn't I, cover? I, I think it's really, it is an interesting piece because it's uh, undeniable history, but it shows how uh, our military forces, even in 1946 and 1947, were telling us what they wanted to tell us. The politicians were hiding things even there. And anyone who doesn't think that there are elites in this world with world power, um, what other purpose just other than that would there be not to have, like, you can't just go to Antarctica. You yeah, can't. Yeah. You can't just, even if you're a billionaire, you, you know, Bezos can't go create an expedition to go to that part of Antarctica. I'm guessing they wouldn't even give him permission because there's something they don't want him to see. Yeah. And I think uh, you brought up a great point too. Like the propaganda that they use, like that film that we watch is like 40 minutes long of his actual footage from his, uh, his team being out there. Not one mention about any of this, like uh, New Schwabland uh, or the Germans or anything like that. It's like, oh, look at the penguins. Look at the water. They're like diving in the water here, really swimming. And yeah. And when they've admitted that half of that film wasn't even done in Antarctica, it was <laughs> clipped from different pieces filmed once they got back out of Antarctica into warm waters and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it, they made it seem like it's like all rosy and fun and yeah, like, like, great yeah and then you know, obviously the milk the politicians didn't want anything to happen and, I, and even like uh i'm a bird with that whole comment about uh uh an alien or not alien but uh uh an adversary who had ships that could go from pole to pole in minutes like he was silenced on that he wasn't even supposed to say that he just happened to say like to like, I think some like South American uh, magazine before they put the kibosh on him. So, anyways, uh, what's our next week's uh, challenge and stuff? All right, next week's smarter challenge. All right, how many times 
you think you can make it to the gym in the next seven days? Uh, starting tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow, today, whenever you want to start. I'm going to I'm gonna say three for sure. Okay. That's my commitment is three. All right. Because I, I have a bunch of tutoring sessions coming up, so I had to. I'm going to go for the seven. I'm going to go okay. for a solid seven. And then one of our things is to follow up and help hold each other accountable. And then the smarter challenge piece is how does it help or hurt to have friends help hold you accountable to a commitment you have made? And then what are the different possibilities? So for example, if you undercommit or if you commit to something realistic, Probably a friend pushing you is not going to be that hard. All of a sudden, you overcommit, and all of a sudden, every time a friend mentions it, it's going to pinch a nerve, right? Right. You know? So um, that's that's really the piece of it is to uh, if you get another opportunity for yourself, um, uh, you know, with someone at work or anyone else, create a commitment, realistic um, or or overcommitting, and really just test the waters for yourself and and see like does it help? Um, and again, this is point uh, part of the point of uh, last week's smarter challenge is, is the importance of not overcommitting. That's a good one. Have an accountability accountability buddy, um, which reminds me of an episode of South Park where <laughs> I think it's a is it Butter? I think it's Butters. Butters goes to a uh, a camp uh, to turn uh, gay people into uh, uh, straight, and uh, Butter is getting is getting introduced to his accountability buddy in his room, and the guy ends up hanging himself. <laughs> <laughs> such a messed up show funny I'm so messed up. it is and the funny part too is like butters isn't even gay he just got like some like bad turn of events yeah <laughs> happened to him because of cartman of course oh it's always cartman <laughs> i'm not i'm just big bone <laughs> anyways all right, well, uh, if you guys made it this far, thank you very much for uh, listening to us. We greatly appreciate uh, you hanging in there with us. Uh, thanks again uh, to all the viewers on YouTube and Rumble, as well as all the many listeners on the many different uh, podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate all of you. Please like, share, subscribe if you like our content, and leave some comments down below, and uh, we will try to respond back to them uh, as best as we can. And... Uh, with that, uh, give it to Jesse to close us out. All right. Remember, life is great. That doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. In fact, it probably should not be. Um, remember, do not drink and drive. Um, drink responsibly. And there's a lot that goes into that. <laughs> um, so be smart. Um, take care of yourselves, your friends, your family. Um, and remember the importance of mental health. And until next week. Scotchman! Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a patron member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully, you have a wonderful evening.